When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call him a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. certain thing that I learned from Jim that he'd always make sure I'd understand. And that is that there's a certain way that we all must swim if he expects to live off the fat of the land. Open the door, Homer. I've heard it said before. Open the door, Homer. I've heard it said before. But I ain't going to hear it said no more. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host of Freewheeling, Rob Kelly, and joining us this week to talk about Open the Door Homer from the Basement Tapes is musician Marshall Sidbury. Hi, Marshall. Hey, Rob. How's it going? It's going great. I'm very thrilled to have you on the show. I'm, you know, I'm so happy to be here. I'm a big fan, and uh, yeah, it's just great to sit down and talk some Dylan. Absolutely. So, yeah, and, you know, I've said on many other episodes, I love talking to musicians. They bring a whole angle uh, to the appreciation of Bob's work that I just don't, I just can't really uh, appreciate my, on my own side because not being, not being a musician. So uh, before we get to the song, I have to ask you, like, how did you become a fan of Bob? Well, um, I guess the short answer is mixtapes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So for context, for those that, that don't know, there used to be this thing called cassette tapes Mm. (laughs) before cds and uh people would make mixtapes so you would take songs from different artists and and put them on a tape and kind of make your own your own album and um when i was i don't know 13 14 kind of early teen years this was kind of a big thing and uh it was almost kind of like this weird kind of like secrecy about it because it was like this music that we were hearing on this mixtapes was not popular at the time um but it was it was a lot of classic rock stuff but it was uh you know led zeppelin and the rolling stones and you know van morrison um you know that kind of stuff mm-hmm. even the eagles I don't know. Maybe you can maybe you can relate to the the mixtape era. Oh, absolutely. Oh, sure. <laughs> right. So yeah, one of these particular mixtapes I had was a uh, uh, I, I got it from a friend, and I, I don't know where he got it, um, I, but it was kind of like it was. They were. I had the feeling that these were like passed down from like older kids or you know older siblings that kind of thing. So it was kind of like this mysterious thing. You got these mixtapes. And on one of these mixtapes, I I don't remember what else was on it, but the two things that stick out were Subterranean Homesick Blues. Okay. And like a Rolling Stone. Ooh, okay. (laughs) Yeah. And you hear that, you know, like Johnny's in the basement mixing up the medicine. (laughs) I'm on the pavement thinking about the government. You know, or like Napoleon and rags in the language that he used. Like, you're like, what is this? <laughs> you put that next to like something by the Eagles and it's like, whoa, <laughs> what is this? Who is this guy? You know, so it's like, I, I mean, 
I'm trying to think about the feeling of it and, you know, like something to compare it to. And, you know, I think about uh, Ballad of the Thin Man, like Mr. Jones. And it's like something's going on here and you, you don't know what it is. And that's kind of the way it felt, but it was in a good way. It was like, no, I don't know what this is, but I want to know. Like, mm-hmm. I want to know more about this. And, uh, you know, and, and, and Dylan talks some about, the, you know, the experiences he had growing up and hitting and, and, and listening to, uh, you know, Hank Williams and, uh, you know, Jimmy Reed and that kind of stuff and, and, and how it just kind of opened up this whole new world for him. And it was kind of like that for me, you know, it was, it was, it was just this whole thing that I'd never heard of. And, you know, this, and I just wanted to know more about it. So it it kind of kept going. I mean, was was it kind of like that for you? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's funny you mentioned mixtapes is that when I first started getting into Bob, it was through cassettes and I, uh, I wanted to learn some of the songs. So what I did was I pulled song my favorites off of any given album and put them on uh mixtapes and i labeled them like you know i think i even called them robert allen zimmerman because i was just pretentious and like uh and and numbered them and so uh you know i had like 10 of those tapes and those are the ones that i listened to so like you know i would i would listen to desire and pull like five six songs off desire and put it on a mixtape and mix it in with five six songs from bottom of the tricks like i was doing like my own greatest yeah. hits compilations now i would kill to have those mixtapes again because yeah. i would love to know what where's where was my brain in 1990 where i was like oh i didn't like that song enough to put it on the mixtape and uh, you know nowadays i don't do that i'm much more democratic about listening to everything but that's that was the beginning of it and that was it was a gesture of like respect because you were like putting that much effort into mixing this all together so, so when you got these, so you, you know, you heard this stuff and then of course you made the leap. You were like, all right, well, I got to get a whole album from this guy. Well, you know, it was, it, it sounds like it was a similar time period for you. So, uh, you know, the, the biograph thing had come out a few years uh, before yeah. yep. and the bootleg series was out around this time. Mm-hmm. So it, I, I somehow got turned on to those and, and that gave like a really nice kind of like overview of, you know, a long stretch of Dylan's career up to that point, you know? And, and so I was hearing things that were, were unreleased for a long time, um, you know, through those. And, and that kind of piqued my interest a little more. And, uh, you know, around the same time uh, I discovered like uh, the freewheeling Bob Dylan and, uh, I had a friend who had other cassette tapes of like blood on the tracks and, hmm. and, and Nashville skyline. And it was like each kind of each, each, each album that I would hear from that point on, like when I heard blood on the tracks, it was like, what is this? You know, yeah, like, yeah. these chords don't sound like normal chords. Like what's going on here? And then later I found out that he's using that open E open D tuning that he used on a lot of those then pretty much the whole album and uh and then nashville skyline was like what? the guy is making like the most amazing country music i've ever heard <laughs> and then john wesley harding was you know like these weird like elliptical kind of like riddle-ish songs with these kind of like interesting like moral things thrown in and i know i mentioned that album 
to you. And mm-hmm. I, mm-hmm. I, and in some ways, I feel like that album is related to the song we're we're going to talk about. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, but then you know, I heard there was another mixtape I had that was like uh, I don't remember what else was on that. I think there was some Crosby, Stills, and Nash on there. But the the again, the two songs that stick out were like some Dylan songs, and it was. Queen Jane, approximately, and Tom Thumb's Blues. Mm-hmm. And that was like the same thing. It was like, what is this? You know? And and I just wanted to know more. And uh, yeah, I think those are still my, my favorite songs off of off of Highway 61. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, man, it was, it was from there. It was just like, I, I just kept wanting to know more. And, and, and kind of like you said, uh, you know, about being democratic with your, with your, uh, what you would include on mixtapes or not democratic at the time. It was like, you know, like anything like after, even Oh Mercy, I considered like a, a late kind of album. And, and, you know, now, and since then, I mean, that was like, you know, roughly halfway through Dylan's career and he's put out so much. Well, as far as we know. Amazing stuff since then. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's. Well, I mean, I, I didn't. I didn't really listen to that. I'm kind of still getting into the stuff from like, you know, time out of mind onward. I'm mm-hmm. still exploring that. Like, you know, it, at the time it was like, oh, well, Dylan was this guy in the '60s and wrote all these great songs, and he had this great album called Oh Mercy in the late '80s. But you know, I had no idea that this whole other period of his career was going to begin which now takes up you know half of his career yeah it's it's i can remember you know getting time out of mind in 1997 and and it's at very much at that time it had felt like oh this is this is going to be the capper he's going to go out on a winner you know like he he had he mustered one more masterpiece out of him and that was 23 years ago yeah i mean i think that won uh the grammy for album of the year yeah. Yep. Yeah. And so and I was like, oh, well, they just gave it to, to him because he's old and like they wanted to honor him and stuff. <laughs> but, you know, <laughs> now like looking back, it's like it's another masterpiece and he's still like making masterpieces. Yeah. Now, just, you know, yeah, that was like seven albums ago for Pete Six. It's, it's yeah. amazing. So, well, you mentioned you mentioned the, the tuning and stuff, and that leads to another thing I really want to talk to you about. Like when you started getting into Bob and you were getting these mixed, were you were you already on your road to becoming a musician? Yeah, I mean, I was starting to play music around that time, um, but it wasn't it wasn't um, it wasn't all an all consuming thing. I was much more interested in in, in listening to music and just hanging out and like uh, I, you know smoking weed. <laughs> <laughs> another another connection to the basement tapes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I mean, that was, it was around that time, but, uh, you know, I didn't get really serious about music until kind of like my later teen years, a few years later. Now, did you, uh, you, do you feel like that Bob, I mean, I guess this is an obvious question, but like that Bob's music informed what you were doing? Because it's, it, when I read your, your bio on your website, that feels very Dylan-esque about getting bitten by a snake at the revival. And I was like, this sounds a lot like, the Falderall stories that Bob was telling him when he was coming up about how he worked at a circus in Gallup, New Mexico. I thought this, this feels very Dylan-esque to me. Yeah. I mean, yeah, definitely. I mean, (laughs) 
I, I, you know, I can't escape it because he's just in terms of what I've listened to and what I've, uh, you know, what I've tried to um, learn the most about. I mean, I've, 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 you know, I've been into a lot of different kinds of music. And it's not just Dylan or, sure. you know, there's, you know, jazz and all kinds of things that I've been into over the years. Um, but yeah, I mean, I feel like Dylan is the most kind of persistent kind of thing that I, I keep going back to. And I think it's, I think it's probably the same for you. I mean, you know, I've listened to your podcast and you're like, at one point you're like, this is the guy that, that I'm going to get into. And it was yeah. kind of like that for me. So, I mean, have you, have you ever tried to cover some of his songs or do you hear, do you hear some, as a musician, do you hear some of his songs and say, I got to learn how to do that. Like, how, what is, I got to try that. Is that, is that a, something that, uh, that, that inspired you to oh, you know, try and yeah, do it? Yeah, definitely. So I'm, I'm working on a, a new record now and, um, you know, that, that the blood on the tracks tuning, mm-hmm. I, I've, uh, I've borrowed some chords <laughs> from, from, uh, the blood on the tracks, uh, session. So I don't know if you know that it's like Dylan chords. Yes. It's a great resource. Um, yeah, so th- that's a great resource for just Dylan songs in general, but for Blood on the Tracks, it's got those voicings like mapped out really well for the open E, kind of open D, um, Blood on the Tracks stuff that he did. And, and, and yeah, on this newest album, there's like several songs in that tuning that are, are using those chords. But, uh, yeah. Um, I, can't, I guess I just gave a little secret away <laughs> when I was with <laughs> too many people, but yeah. So absolutely, I mean, and and I, you know, we talked about John Wesley Harding when we were exchanging emails, and and that form that like that three verse form mm-hmm. where everything is very, uh, you know, every word means something, and there's no. And I think Dylan has said this somewhere, like there's no throwaway lines. Like I that seems to be like what I kind of gravitate towards to. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, in terms of my Dylan influence, it's like it's it's not the the very wordy kind of like crazy imagery, although I do like the crazy imagery and and uh, you know, some of the longer songs, but that very concise kind of um, lyrical approach is something that has stuck with me, and, and it has been a big influence on my writing. When you try and sit down to write a song, like like the $20 bill song you have, up, again, on your, your newest song on the website, like, do you consciously say i'm going to now sit and write a song or do you just live your life and then something occurs to you and you go oh that's interesting you know and then you then it becomes like oh, i'm gonna i'm gonna go to go down this road this could give you a song out of this or or is there a mixture of things it's a mix for sure yeah i mean like things will occur to me um you know like i'll be driving or you know riding my bike somewhere which i've been doing a lot of in the quarantine yeah riding bikes a lot um so like yeah and that's another thing that dylan said is like if if you're writing a song it helps if you're in motion Hmm. i don't know if you've heard that but he said that somewhere no i don't think i've ever heard that quote 
You know, it, it does help. You could be, he says something like, you could be anywhere writing, uh, uh, writing a song, you could be walking down the street or riding a subway. It helps if you're moving. And I found huh. that to be true. Because uh, a lot of ideas come to me when I'm moving, when I'm, when I'm riding in the car, even at specific places where I'm riding in the car, if I'm on a certain road or a certain part of my bike path. But, but then I do sit down and, 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 and have dedicated time to say, like, right. you know, I'm going to write. I'm going to sit my butt in the chair and I'm going to write. And a, lot, and a lot of times the seed of the idea will come from something I thought of in the car or mm-hmm. like, or, you know, when I was moving, I'll try and develop that. Hmm. Have you ever seen Bob live? I have. I saw him like five times on the 95 tour. Okay. Opening for the dead. Okay. So that was up in uh, Vermont and Giant Stadium, RFK Stadium. Uh, I think that was it because there was a couple of shows at, in Giant Stadium and RFK, if I remember correctly. But then I, I saw him again in 2013 and, um, that was the sixth time. So it's been a minute, and I, I, I want to get out and see him again, definitely. But, but yeah, I've seen him, I think, six times. Hmm. And what did you think of the – I mean, obviously, the shows where he's opening, it's a different, it's a different thing because it's, just, it's not a Dylan concert exactly. But then when you saw him in 2013, what did you think of that as – I mean, again, as a musician, you're coming at it from a different – different angle like what do you what did what did you think of the show the the, the recreate the re now you already prepared for this but the completely sort of recreation of the songs in in concert and him as a band leader and what did what did you think of all that i mean he's brilliant man i mean that's that's one of the things that i think is probably underappreciated about him is is his live performances because you know people are like oh i went to the show and it didn't sound like you know <laughs> what i heard on the record but you know to go out and like recreate those songs night after night and make them sound like something new breathe new life into them that is that's really incredible like mm-hmm. these songs like like they're living things and 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 not i feel like you know in a, in a sense you you could say it's almost like giving up on the songs to just leave them in this fixed place. Mm-hmm. And he's never done that. And he's, you know, it's like, it's like he's not busy being born is busy dying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he's always in, he said something about, uh, if you're not constantly, if, if you're an artist and you're, you're constantly in a state of becoming, then you'll be all right. Something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I think that's great. You know, it might not be the best version every time, but I mean, it, God, God, over the years, it, it just leads to some just some incredible stuff that he's that he's done with you know the same songs. And as I get older, I, I find that line "He not busy being born is busy dying" really gaining resonance. Uh, you, you know, over time, uh, because I just feel like, yeah, you. You know, the, just because you want to try something new doesn't mean that you are forgetting or obliterating the other thing. Uh, yeah. You always you always have that thing and try something new and maybe you'll have yet another new thing to add to your yeah. life. But if you just keep kind of digging yeah. through that same ditch over and over again, yeah, it's rewarding to a certain extent. But after a while, it does, it, you know, you lose, it loses some of its 
some of its punch because you've just done it 40 million times. So, yeah, it's like if I want to hear Like a Rolling Stone done as it was on Highway 61, I just pull out Highway 61. And who knows? Maybe he'll do it some way live that I've never heard before and go, holy hell, I never thought of it that way. And then there's going to be other nights where I go, yeah, no. That, you know, I've, I've mentioned on the show, there's um, every time I've seen him do Trying to Get to Heaven, which is my favorite song off of, of Time Out of Mind, live, I've never liked it. I've never, to me, he's never cracked it <laughs> than the one he's done on time out of mind. I'm like, nope, nope, nope. It's just, just not working for me. But then, yeah. as I mentioned on the show just a couple of weeks ago, he did Lenny Bruce last time I saw him and he turned it into something. I it turned a song that I never really liked that much into something I love now. So it's like, yeah, you got to keep trying because you, you're always going to have the old thing, but maybe the new thing will be good too. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and that's, that's another thing about him is like, it, that's like a life lesson, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's like, he, he said that about Woody Guthrie, I think, in the uh, Scorsese documentary. It was like, here's a guy who's like songs you can listen to and learn how to live your life. <laughs> yep. And, and I feel like that's kind of been the case for me because, I mean, there's just so many things in his songs, you know, so many themes. There's just a I don't know. He's a very wise guy. Well, that, yeah, well, that wisdom, to me, that's a perfect segue to talking about this song, Open the Door, Homer, because I don't know about you, but like for the basement tapes, I love the basement tapes because, of course, I do. But yeah. I, I admit that I have a lot of time. Uh, I have a lot of hard time. I have a hard time, excuse me, understanding what a lot of them are, what he's talking about. You know, or like, yay, heavy in a bottle of bread or tiny Montgomery or a lot of these songs. I'm just like, I don't know what the hell they're. And I know the legends that they were stoned off their asses at that point. But, I, you know, come on. He's I'm I'm sure that he was still had some meaning in his mind when he was recording these things. So a lot of these songs to me are just sort of gibberish. They're fun gibberish, but they're gibberish. But this one, Open the Door Homer, to me, I think uh, is one of the few songs that I could have imagine being done on john wesley harding uh because you mentioned it has just those three three verses and Mm -hmm. it's just a very simple moral tale yeah uh and i could see of course in a very different arrangement it being on that record and and to me the opening refrain which i quoted the the, there's a certain way and by the way on bob dylan website on bobdylan.com the words are different uh in in a he changes the line from um there, there's a certain way that we all must swim if we expect to live off the fat of the land. On BobDillon.com, it says there's a certain way a man must swim if he expects to live off the fat of the land. And I actually prefer we over he. I don't, I, I don't see uh, any benefit to making it um, so specific. But just the line about there is a way that we all must swim if we expect to live off the fat of the land. And it's a, that's a very simple, incredibly direct uh, statement, but you know, universally true, and we're seeing that play out in 2020. You know, where we have this this throng of people that are like, "I'm not going to do this simple thing to keep everyone healthy because my freedom." You know, and you're like, "Well, you can't you can't run things that way." You know what I mean? The world doesn't work that way. And it's like this is a song he wrote in 19 what 67, and yeah. 50 plus years later it's still incredibly applicable and the easy way that Bob sings it. It's not, it's not like the, like, or it's not the uh, highway 61 singing where he's kind of like spitting it out of you. He's kind of just lacking very easy. It's like a guy on a porch, just kind of sitting there and plucking his guitar and going, you know, 
these are some basic things that we, we should all understand, you know? And then he goes into the second verse. There's a certain thing that I learned from my friend Mouse, a fellow who always blushes, and that is that everyone must always flush out his house if you don't expect to be housing flushes, which is, I love the Dada-esque of that. It's like, well, yeah, yeah okay, sure, you know, okay. Open the door, Homer. I heard it said before. Open the door, Homer. I've heard it said before, but I ain't going to hear it said no more. So, I mean, what is it about this song that really spoke to you? Well, you know, that kind of like moral component that you're talking about, I think, um, I've loved this song since since I first heard the Basement Tapes, you know, years ago when I was kind of discovering Dylan. Um, and and the line in the last verse has always kind of stuck out to me as one of the lyrical gems of the Basement Tapes. All right, well, I'll, I'll quote that so we know what we're talking about. Take take care of all your memories, said my friend Mick. For you cannot relive them, and remember when you're out there trying to heal the sick, that you always must first forgive them. Open yeah. the door, Homer. I've already heard it said before. Open the door, Homer. I've heard it said before, but I ain't going to hear it said no more. So it's the line about the sick. Is that what you're yeah. referring to? When you're trying to heal the sick, that you always must first forgive them, and that that line had has always stuck out to me. And I mean, I've, I've just always loved the feel of the song too. But that line in particular stood out to me as like one of the the gems of the basement tapes. And I feel like that line kind of, it elevates the rest of the song in a way. And it, it seems to be using this, uh, I don't know if this is an, a conscious or unconscious technique that you see in several of Dylan's songs where he's like, there's a build up to the last line or you get the most powerful line at the end. So like, um, so like, and don't think twice he's saying at the end of the song, I'm not saying you treated me unkind. Mm-hmm. You just kind of done better, happy. but mine don't mind. Yeah. 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 Or, uh, in, in dear landlord off John Leslie Harding, which was, you know, around this time, uh, you know, a bit after it, um, each of us has his own special gift. And you know it was meant to be true. If you don't end, underestimate me, I won't underestimate you. Um, uh, another example from John Wesley Harding would be like Wicked Messenger. Stay free from petty jealousy. Live oh, by man. Live by no man's code. Yeah. And hold your judgment for yourself lest you wind up on this road. Mm-hmm. So, and then there's a bit of a biblical kind of element to all these. And... I think there's also a bit of a Luke the Drifter kind of element. (laughs) Sure. And yeah, and what's interesting, an interesting thing about this song is that they they attempted during, so for those that don't know, uh, these sessions were done in in the big pink basement, you know. Right, which you can visit now. (laughs) You can can go, it's a B&B, you can go visit it. Have you been? No, no, I just, I didn't even know that was a thing until uh, a bunch of episodes ago. Uh, my friend Elizabeth Sutton was on the show and she told me that she did that. And I didn't know you could. I was like, what? <laughs> I didn't know you could go and rent out Big Pink. So I got to do that someday. Yeah, that would be very cool. Can you imagine? Yeah. So it, it was recorded. The, these sessions were done between May and October 1967. Um. October 1967, he went into John Wesley Harding. It's amazing, amazing to go 
so prolific to go from recording hundreds of basement tape songs and then go right to a, a masterpiece of an album. I mean, just that's what, what a fertile period that was for him. Yes. Amazing. Um, yeah, but you can see the kind of like the, the links in the, in the song structure, like we were talking about and in the, the kind of thematic, um, you know, like the, the biblical stuff, like we know that he was reading the Bible during this period after the motorcycle accident, people reported he had a, a, big Bible on a stand in, yep. in Woodstock. And and so there's this kind of like biblical, and it was a period of self-reflection for him because, you know, because of the motorcycle accident and he was, um, you know, he was trying to build a family and he was, so he was reading the Bible and he was making these very short, direct kind of songs. And, and like you mentioned, there was a lot of kind of like nonsensical kind of, uh, lyrics earlier as well not just on the basement tapes but you know if you look at highway 61 and and blonde on blonde you'll find a lot of that kind of um yeah in terms of the surrealistic stuff it, a lot of critics i mean at the time were talking about how the motorcycle accident seemed to be this very easy demarcation point to say oh all the all the real crazy inventive surrealistic flourishes stopped you know after the motorcycle accident but that's obviously not true because the basement teams are full of that stuff Yes. You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> he just chose to sort of point them in a different direction. Uh, yeah. But yeah, the, yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, I mean, the line about you said, my friend Mick, uh, when, you're, when you're trying to heal sick, you're trying to heal the sick and you always must first forgive them. I, I will admit the first couple of times I heard that line, I didn't quite understand what it meant to me, at least. I was like, what was he trying to get? And then I thought, well, there is a certain amount of like, it's, if you're trying to do something for someone, you're, 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 you're sort of setting yourself up to be better than them because you're helping them and you have to get past that. And that's this idea of sort of being superior to somebody because they're getting assistance from you. You, you can't, that, that doesn't work that way. You know, you have yeah. to be on, you have to be on an equal footing. And so I thought, again, for a song that's so short, and only again, only as the verses, there's an amazing amount of profound thoughts in, in this song. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, I, I still don't know what that line means, but <laughs> I, I, I'm, you know, it's it's. I, I still think it's profound. Um, but you know, I mean, there's that whole thing. I mean, it definitely seems biblical in the sense that, uh, you know, he's talking about forgiveness, which is obviously a major theme of you know Jesus's teaching. In the, New Testament and healing the sick, which is also a big part of the New Testament. But then I don't want to talk too much about Dylan's personal life and what it might mean to him personally. Although we probably will talk about that more with the Richard reference. Yeah. Uh -huh. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, I mean, it seems like maybe what he'd been through in the, in the, you know, the preceding years where he's like, you know, he, the protest songs and, 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 he, you know, he obviously cared a lot about about the world and and wanted to do something, you know, with these songs like "The Times They Are Changing" and "Blowing the Wind" and 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 you know, if that's trying to heal the sick, and then he gets to Woodstock and he's got people trying to break into his house twenty four hours a day. <laughs> yeah, and he's you know he was he got kind of angry about that and who, you know who could blame him? <laughs> no, who yeah, could blame him forgot yeah say <laughs> so, okay you know what do you he came there's that story where he came home one day and found like a hippie couple having sex in his bed like oh <laughs> yeah i mean yeah, I, come on 
common occurrence. Like people on his roof and just tromping through the woods and showing up. And yeah, I think it was, you know, pretty common for him during that time. (laughs) What do you make of the refrain of the, the core that opened the door Homer, I've heard it said before. I mean, part of it, uh, I mean, it's sort of funny that you've got presumably Richard Manuel singing Open the Door Richard uh, at the same time Bob is singing Open the Door Homer. Now, there is a song by Louis, Louis Jordan and his orchestra called Open the Door Richard. Uh, and I have to think that was some influence on, on this song because, it's, again, it's, it's a song they would have been familiar with because Bob loved old-timey music. I always took the the Homer. I heard that Homer is was his nickname, was Bob's nickname for uh, either Richard Manuel, Richard Farinia. Yeah. Uh, I don't know about that. I always sort of took it in my mind as Homer is just an old timey sounding name. You know, it's oh, the name you don't hear anymore. Really, you didn't hear much in the '60s outside of Homer Simpson. You don't hear a lot of Homers other than you know the most famous one. And so I always feel like he's just he's just trying to to conjure a certain time of older Americana, mm-hmm. uh, you know, invisible Republic kind of thing. And, and, uh, and so that, and then the open the door is a gesture, you know, it's you're, you're letting someone in metaphorically or literally you're letting someone yeah. into your house. And so it's, and I've heard it said before. So he's been told a bunch of times, Oh, open the door, make sure you open the door. And he says, but I ain't going to hear it said no more because I think that the, the, the singer is now doing that thing. He's opened his heart to the metaphorical Homer. So that's what I, that's always how I took it is that this is the lesson that he has learned from mouse, from his friend, Mick that, okay, you got to open your heart and let the people in. And that's now he's doing it. And now he's, he's handing that wisdom on to the listener. And that's at least, that's always how I took it. I like that idea of hand, handing the wisdom on to the, to the listener. Mm. I mean, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. I mean, uh, you know, like you mentioned, there's this whole thing, open the door, Richard, Louis <laughs> Jordan had a hit with it. Um, Count Basie had a hit with it. Jack McVeigh, uh, Dusty Fletcher, who was a comedian, did a whole routine. And it, it, it seems to come from a, a, a comedy routine that goes back to vaudeville and possibly even back to minstrel shows. So it's a very old thing, like Pigmeat Markham, mm-hmm. a comic vaudeville who came out of vaudeville, did it. He attributed it to his mentor. Um, <clears throat> I think the guy's name was Bill Russell, Bob Russell. But yeah, so it goes, it goes back. And, and there's even a mention of it in a Bugs Bunny episode. Is there really? Oh, wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. When I, was, okay. I was doing some research, and there was a thread I found where somebody says, I saw this on a Bugs Bunny episode where Yosemite Sam says, open the door. Notice I didn't say Richard. Wow. And, 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 <laughs> That's and great. The thread, yeah, the people in the thread had no idea of the song or the vaudeville routine. And they were like, did Bob get this from Bugs Bunny? <laughs> <laughs> what a great idea. that would be. <laughs> Yeah. So I'm sure it was something that, that Bob was aware of. Yeah. But then, yeah. But then you mentioned the, the Richard Farina uh, reference, which I, I think is something that Clinton Halen may have been the first to cite, or at least he was the one that decided that Homer was a, 
you know, possibly was a nickname for Richard Farina, who was Dylan's friend. Yeah. A, he hung out with him in the in the village in the early sixties and he was a he was a folk singer and he he was a novelist. He published his first novel um I think in sixty six or so and he was married to Carolyn Hester, right. who Bob did his first recording session with right. on harmonica and then married uh shortly after um Mimi Baez, right, right. Baez's younger sister. And and so, you know, people were saying, oh, he's talking to he's saying goodbye to, you know, Richard Farina and and that the line about I'm not gonna hear I ain't gonna hear it said no more in the chorus. May you know, you could say that maybe that's a reference to Richard Farina. Mm-hmm. And, and and the interesting thing is that another interesting thing is that so Richard Farina died in a motorcycle accident. Right. April 30th, 1966. Dylan had his motorcycle accident, if we're to believe that it actually happened, on <laughs> uh, um, July 29th, 1966. So Oof, Stay off motorcycles, everybody. Yeah. Uh, almost exactly three months later. And then the band is recording this uh, a little over a year later between May and October 1967. So I'm sure this was, you know, it was fresh on Dylan's mind, his own brush with mortalities, re-examining his life and reading the Bible and, you know, getting cleaned up and, and, and uh, becoming a family man and all this. So, you know, I'm sure it was on his mind, but I don't know. I mean, I feel feel like besides the uh, ain't going to hear it said no more um, line, it's a little, I think anyone trying to find details about Richard Freenia in the song would be a little hard pressed. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I think so. But, and Danko said, Rick Danko, who would probably play bass on it. We don't know for sure, but he was there and he was the bass player. Um, I think he probably played bass. He speculated that, uh, you know, Dylan changed the title to Homer because Richard Manuel, who was probably playing piano, at least I think he was probably playing piano, was was also there. So he, you know, changed it to somebody else. <laughs> um, but you know, I you know, here's a question: I does Dylan sing Homer? I don't. I had not noticed that he sings Homer. I thought that the chorus, it was pretty clear that it says Richard, although some people have speculated that maybe he's saying Rachel or maybe they're singing Rachel at some point. But I have not heard the, the Homer song on the, on the chorus. Maybe I, I just need to listen closer. Have you heard that? Yeah, it sounds like Homer to me, but I feel that, that Richard Manuel is singing over him to the point where you hear that more than you hear Homer. But okay. I feel like I hear Bob say Homer, and then you just hear, you know, Manuel like Richard, you know, like yeah. loudly, loudly into the microphone. So, yeah. and it's just sort of funny that they're just letting that go. You know, it's like, well, wait a minute, what's the name of the song here? <laughs> we're just like, but I mean, of course, that was, you know, they were just dicking around in a lot of cases. Uh, yeah. So yeah. you know, they were like, all right, it's okay, you know. <laughs> yeah, and so, well, well, before I heard you say that you had heard Dylan sing Homer, um. 
you know, I was thinking like he probably didn't really think too much about the title, changing the title to "Open the Door, Homer," even though he, it sounds like they're singing Richard on the mm-hmm. chorus because that's something he'd done before, like yeah, you know, like like "Rainy Day Women" number twelve and thirty-five, right? Like that's not mentioned anywhere in the song. That's right. everybody must get stoned, right? So he's not. And, and, and there are other examples where he just gives a, a title that doesn't really seem to have anything to do with the the content of the song. Right. So, Temporary like Achilles or whatever. Yeah. So I'm thinking that like he, he probably didn't think too much about it. But if you look at, you know, what he said about Homer in the past, like in the Scorsese documentary, for example, when he says uh, he'd been born to the wrong parents. Yeah. He says something like, and he was just on a journey, and he was trying to get home. Trying to get home, yeah. Yeah, and I, I that sounds like the Odyssey, Homer's, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, I don't recall if he explicitly mentions that, but, you know, if you look at the um, the Nobel lecture, when he won the Nobel Prize for Literature, he definitely mentions Homer and yes. the Odyssey in that. He mentions three works of literature. He mentions Moby Dick, All is Quiet on the Western Front, and Homer's Odyssey. And he, he talks about how he identified with the character Odysseus or Ulysses in, um, in, 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 the, in the Odyssey and how he's on this journey, he's trying to get home. <laughs> and, and, you know, uh, it... it so it, it it's you could even take that as like the blueprint for Dylan's whole career. In some oh, absolutely! Yeah, absolutely. I mean, my lord. Yeah, I mean that. I think there's a reason why when when people have tried to make you know movies about him, you can't tell the Bob Dylan story because there's too much. Right. There's too many yeah. eras. There's too many things to cut. You know, it would have to be a, a mini series, sixteen hours long, just to cover all the different eras and give them all equal weight, you know? And it's funny when you, when you talk about, you know, the Odyssey, it makes me feel like you can go down a whole separate road in the song of like, you know, you could be, you could be thinking of, of Homer as, as God and open the door is, is knocking the door and you're knocking on the door to get into heaven. Open the door, Homer. I want to get it. You know, you've lived this life. I've lived this. I've gone through the Odyssey, but this is the end now. Open the door, Homer. So I can, so I can get home. I mean, if you can, if you want, you can go all the way down that road for this song, yeah, which is I amazing mean, for a song that's so short and you know kind of in and out, and yet there's so much in it. Yeah, there's a lot to unpack for this short little three verse song. But along the lines of what you're saying is like, you know, uh, so in the Todd Haynes film, I'm not there. There's a character named Homer, who is ostensibly a representation of one of Dylan's many faces, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And in um, and, and, and the English, you know, in, in English poetry, in the English verse, there's like, there's this tradition of like people like Keats and Milton who are looking to classical poets like, like Homer for, for guidance or wisdom. Um, so even like in, in uh, uh, Dante's Inferno, where Virgil is his guide through the underworld, which is something that Dylan has mentioned in in several places, um, even on you know rough and rowdy ways, I think he talks about my guide through the underworld. Mm-hmm. If my fleet footed guide to the underworld, yeah, yeah. So I mean, there's this thing of like 
the classical poets being like the guides for, you know, the romantic poets and Milton and, and, and Dante. And I, I think Dylan was definitely aware of that tradition. So, okay. Maybe Homer was a, a nickname for Richard Freyna. I'm not sure where that comes from. I don't, I don't know where Clint Hanlon got that from, but there's this other thing of Homer, like you were saying, like open the door, Homer, like, Maybe you're my you're my guide to yeah. the, the underworld, or you're my inspiration, or whatever. So I think that you know, and, and when I first heard the song, and when I fell in love with it, uh, you know, I didn't I didn't think about you know Richard Farina or anything. no, no, <laughs> I didn't know any of that stuff when I first heard the song. And that's like one of the beautiful things about Dylan is that he like he takes all these things and puts them together in this stew. You know, he's still mm-hmm. doing that. You know, he's taking the Bible, he's taking Luke the Drifter, he's taking uh um <clears throat> you know the, the the vaudeville routine and 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 mixing them up into this stew. Like you mentioned Dadaism and and this seems to be an element of like theater of the absurd to me. Mm-hmm. You know, like Beckett and uh waiting for Godot, kind of like this like uh uh, you gotta flush out your house if you don't expect to be housing flushes. <laughs> what? What does that mean exactly? That seems, you know. That's that, yeah. That's the one line that I think it would have jumped out at you if it had been on John Wesley Harding, because that's that line is so silly and it makes you chuckle. And to me, there really isn't anything on John Wesley Harding that makes me laugh because it just seems like a very, very strange, serious album. Uh, and then to hear that, you just would have been like, what the hell? <laughs> you know, it's yeah, so much I, better on a basement tape than it would on John Wesley Harding. I agree with you. The the one exception on John Wesley Harding, I think, would be like uh, the Ballad of Frank Lee. Yeah, first. right. Which is the only song that's longer than three verses anyway. Yeah, I think you're right. And, and yeah. that's there's that's pretty comical. Yeah. Yeah, that's and, true. It is. A, <laughs> but it does have that absurdist kind of like Dadaist kind of element to it as well yeah it does have some of that like that you're it's not a house it's a home you know that same kind of <laughs> right what? you know it just sounds like gibberish but maybe it means something as for a song and again this song has never been performed live uh it would only ever got released on the basement tapes and it's it's sort of funny for a song that has never been performed live it's had quite a quite a a career excuse me a career, quite a um uh history as has been from covered from other people uh, the basement tapes are kind of like the Bob Dylan equivalent. Of, they just that line about the Velvet Underground is that they were never very popular with with you know, regular people, but right. everybody that ever listened to them yeah. started a band. Yeah, I feel like the basement tapes are like that. That most of these songs, the average person doesn't know are Bob Dylan songs, and yet they've heard them because they've been covered by everybody. Uh, whether yeah. it's This Wheels on Fire or the Mighty, Qu- I mean, the Mighty Quint to me is the the greatest example. I still can tell people to this day, you know, that's a Bob Dylan song. They're like, what? You know, because even though no one's heard the Bob Dylan version, they only know the mighty, mighty, uh, the uh, man for man version. We covered a bunch of times. There's a version by a band called Thunderclap Newman, which does something very, very different with it. There's Jake and the Family Jewels, which is a fun version. And then Robin Hitchcock, uh, he did a a really great version of it, which I enjoy. He changes the verses a little bit and even manages to work in, uh, some Beatles lyrics at the very end of it, which I enjoy a lot. Open the door, Homer. Just yeah, 
Okay. At the at the end, he starts singing "She Loves You." Yeah, yeah. It's just like <laughs> I've not it's heard really that. fun. Yeah, you can find it on YouTube. It's a great cover. I I thought the, I was really uh, really tickled by Robin Hitchcock's cover. I thought he did a really great job with it. So again, it's a song that you know Bob wrote and they performed it, and then they just essentially forgot about it. I don't want I shouldn't say forgot because obviously out of the thousands or however many songs that they recorded for the Basement Tapes, they felt it worthy to be included in the 1975 release. So yeah. obviously they, they thought enough of it to, to put it out officially, but it's a song that Bob's just never bothered with since then, but it's, it's had a life of its own. It's been covered by a lot of people. So it, it lives on through other musicians, which is kind of what, you know, I think what Bob sort of intends for a lot of his songs. So it's, it's a, it's an eternal song, even though he himself, you know, just has left it behind. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it hasn't been covered as much as some of the songs. No. Well, not, right. Nothing like uh, Tears of Rage or uh, yeah. Nothing Was Delivered. Yeah. I mean, some of these basement tape songs, it's all, yeah. Oh, man. But but it it, it was included. So he, I guess one of the ideas behind the basement tapes, besides having fun, was he was trying to create some publishing demos for other artists. Right. Cool. Boy, that was a success, wasn't it? <laughs> I, I, I suppose it was right. I mean, the, yeah. The I mean, my God, yeah. yeah. Going nowhere, and um, yeah, like you just mentioned, uh, yeah, a bunch of those songs have been covered. Yeah, I mean, there, there were there were covers of these songs out for people to listen to. I think even before Bob had even done Nashville Skyline at that point. I mean, these songs got immediately got sent out. And wow. we're starting to be covered by people. And, it, you know, people thought, oh, look, Peter, Paul, and Mary have a new song. It's like, yeah, well, it's a Bob Dylan song, but it's a song you've never heard. I mean, this was, I mean, the Basement Tapes was the, the, the basic, was the main course for Great White Wonder, the first Bob Dylan bootleg. And I guess, according to some music scholars, the first ever bootleg, because it was referred to as the Great Lost Bob Dylan album. And the, the, yeah. the bulk of that was the Basement Tape. So, yeah, this I, thing was yeah. amazingly fertile ground for so many people yeah and it was i think at one point i don't know if it still is but it was i think it was the most bootlegged <laughs> you know it was the, it was the most bootlegged like rock and rock and roll recording in history amazing amazing so yeah it's it's said it's a it's truly a great song it's one of my favorites off of the basement tapes and again it's it's it, i agree man you know i i don't i feel like it's maybe a little bit of an overlooked gym. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, like I mentioned that last line really like picks it up a notch. And I feel like it's one of the great lines off the, the basement takes about healing the sick and, and, and forgiving them. And then he said, and the, and the vocal performance is so, it's so like laconic. It's so laid back. Yes. And I just love that, that he's delivering these very powerful droplets of wisdom. And yet he's not, shoving it in your face you know he's just kind of like he's just like hey sit back and listen and you go like wow there's wow, this a lot going on here this was when i first got the basement tapes on cassette uh i you know this was one of the ones that popped out at me i was just like wow what is this yeah just, that, that's one of the ones that popped out at me too and it's it's kind of stuck with me yeah. um do you want to talk about like the, the music a little bit yeah oh absolutely sure yeah, yeah. I, again i i'm i'm so bad at that so yeah i'm glad to have you here talk about let's talk about the actual music of the song a little bit before so we wrap this up. adds a whole another layer to it um you know the, the the chord structure uh if you look at it it's it's got this chord structure which is 
a lot of times referred to as the the, the 50s doo-wop chords or 50s chords, doo-wop chord progression. Sometimes it's called the, the heart and soul chords, you know, the popular heart and soul. Mm-hmm. I can't remember who did that one, who wrote that. Uh, that was Huey Lewis in the news, I believe. <laughs> I think there's an older one. I, I, <laughs> I would say like Hoagy Carmichael. But it, <laughs> uh, the Stand By Me, you know, the mm-hmm. song that uses the same changes. Uh, I think Blue Moon by Rogers and Hart. Was the was the first song maybe to use the changes uh, extensively, and we know Dylan was familiar with that because he did it on Self Portrait. That's right. That's right. So the, and then the he court- sang he sang New Blue Moon on uh, Volume Three for the Wilburys. Uh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> so yeah, so the the chord progression is is uh, in musical terms, it's called a one six. Four, five, one progression. Okay. Going from the one chord, which is the key of the song, down to the six, which is the relative minor, down to the four, which is the subdominant, and up to the dominant chord, which is the five chord. Um, so that progression, um, I'm, you know, we know Dylan was familiar with it because <laughs> his, he, he knew you know his 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 knowledge of 50s and 60s music was the guy was just like an encyclopedia yeah you look at game time radio hour you know he knew this progression oh yeah yeah earth angel was another song uh but yeah heart and soul stand by me blue moon they all use this tons of duo songs use it and 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 so he uses a variation of it instead of just going 16451 he in the verses he does uh one six one five and then one six four five one but then probably the most interesting harmonic thing that he does in the song is that he goes to the two chord instead of resolving to the one chord so after one six four five you would expect it to resolve to the one chord because the, the five chord in Western harmony, you would expect it to resolve to the, to the one chord. Now, what does that, what does that mean? Resolve? I mean, again, you have to talk to me like I am incredibly stupid, which I am on this. So what does that mean? Resolve to the chord? So if, if you, if you build chords on based on your major scale, you, you're building chords off the, the first note of the scale and 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 so you're you're building triads over that. You're you're taking the so if a one chord is the first note of the of the scale, and the third note and the fifth note. So you're skipping notes in the scale one three five. That's your one chord, and you basically do the same thing for the six chord, the four chord, and the five chord. You're just skipping notes. So your your five chord would be a five seven two, and the five chord in your Western theory harmony is, is called the dominant chord. And, and that wants to resolve back to the one chord. Okay. So when he hits the five chord, um, at the end of the verse, so the, um, the verse, uh, uh what is, what's the verse? Um, uh, learn from my gym, my friend, Jim, 
What does he learn from Jim again? <laughs> He'd always make sure I'd understand, and that if there's a certain way that we all must swim if we expect to live off the fat of the land. Yeah, so when he gets to the fat of the land, he's on the five court, and the listener, you're set up by hearing the, the five court, the dominant court, the fat of the land. You want it to go back to the one court and resolve, okay. and, and, and that's where you know you, you, there's a release of tension. But instead... He goes to the A minor chord, which is the two chord, which is as far away from the one chord as you can get. You're going one above the one chord. You're going to the two chord. So it's in the key of G major. So he, the two chord is A major because, you know, as we know, the musical scale goes um, G, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. So A would be the second degree in the scale. And so that's a minor chord. And so that, the, the minor chord adds to the darkness of it. It's a, you know, minor chords have a, a little darker feel to them than major chords. But so he's doing this, this variation on the duop progression, but then he's going to the two chord on the open the door, Richard. And he just holds it and he sits there on that two chord and it just adds to the tension of the whole thing. And and that's not at all where you expect it to go. <laughs> so that's like, it's pretty, it's pretty, it's very, I don't know, it's Dylan-esque. It's brilliant that he goes to that chord. Like, nobody goes to the two chord on the chorus. <laughs> like, it's a, it's a very original thing, but it works very well. And he, and he gets back to the, the main key of the song, the tonic chord, G chord you know, very simply and elegantly, which is, which is interesting. But that's the most interesting thing about the song, I think, is that he's using this common doo-wop 50s chord progression. And then on the chorus, he goes to the two chord, which is the most unexpected chord you could go to. And it builds this tension. It's this minor chord, and he just sits on it longer than he sits on any of the other chords. And, yeah, I mean, the effect is... I think it's 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 brilliant. And that's why I love having musicians on the show because I don't know any of that. I didn't know any of that stuff. I mean, I think I can hear it on a, a, a subliminal level. Like I hear that tension because that's the feeling you get from it, but I wouldn't be able to articulate it because I yeah. don't know. So yeah, I mean, go go back and listen to it, and 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 you'll you know it sounds like you hear it already, but. Yeah, I mean, it's it's like when he goes to the open the door and sits on that two chord, it's like, mm-hmm. it's just a very interesting, strange thing. And it, they make it work and they pull it off, even though, like, technically, it's not something that's supposed to work harmonically. <laughs> yeah. Very typical of a Bob Dylan song. That's not, it doesn't work that way, and yet he makes it work, so. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Yeah, how many times have I heard, you know, him cover one of his old songs and I go, oh, I don't know if I want to hear this. Oh, this is actually pretty good. Oh, how did he do that? You know, that kind of thing, you know, and he's just right. super full of that stuff. Yeah, and that's that's what we were saying earlier is that, like, he's just, he's always in the process of being born, you know. Yeah. He's always in a state of becoming, and that's what, you know, <laughs> I found so compelling about him, I think. 
Well, I said it's it's an amazing song, and it's always been one of my favorites. And I'm really glad that someone wanted to talk about it because I got excited when you said you wanted to do this one. So this is just terrific, Marshall. Again, thank you so much for doing the show. Yeah, thank you, man. I've been looking forward to it for a while, and I'm I'm happy that we got to sit down and do it. Absolutely. Why don't you uh, tell people where they can find you on the internet? Okay. Um, uh, so. So you can find me at my website, marshallsidbury.com. That's S-I-D-B-U-R-Y. And, yeah, same name you can find on Instagram, um, Facebook, Twitter. And as you mentioned earlier, I got a new song out called uh, $20 Bill. Right. You can find that on Bandcamp, Spotify, wherever else you, you want to stream. And uh, all proceeds for that song will go to Black Lives Matter through the, the month of December. Outstanding. Outstanding. So, again, yeah, everybody go check Marshall's workout. I enjoyed it very, very much. Uh, and so, again, thank you so much for doing this, Marshall. I really appreciate it. Yeah, thank you, Rob. It was a pleasure. All right. Well, thanks, everybody, for listening. Of course, if you want to follow the show, go to the website, fireandwaterpodcast.com. You can follow the show on – you can subscribe to the show, excuse me, on Spotify, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts. And uh, we're always talking uh, Dylan over on Twitter at pod underscore Dylan. And then finally, if you want to support the Fire and Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you're going to unlock various rewards, one of which is to be name-checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, and Henry Bernstein for their support of Pod Dylan. So that's going to do it for this week. Thanks, everybody, for listening. And we will see you later. Bye-bye. Now there's a certain thing That I learned from Jim That he'd always make sure 